Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome uh, to Lord's Love Church. It is great to be with you guys this morning and be able to uh, worship God together. Um, some of you guys may know this past week I went on vacation with Little Bell uh, to Mexico, a uh, very hot place. Um, but I actually came back into another hot uh, weather, so it's kind of nice to be back um, and uh, worship with you guys all. And it was actually weird. I think last week was one of those, um, one of the few days where I didn't come on a Sunday to worship, and so it kind of felt weird in my routine not coming to church. Um, but so it is great to be with you guys uh, this morning and see uh, many of your faces. Uh, but before I start uh, on today's sermon series, I would like to pray uh, because we are getting into a big topic and we're going to be talking about uh, sexuality. So please join me in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for today and we thank you, Father, that we get to gather here to worship you, that we get to gather here to hear your word. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit will be here. Uh, to be with us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit um, will speak to us through your word and that you will open up our hearts to receive uh, your word. So I pray that uh, whatever things that distract us or to bring us down, may we come before you this morning. Uh, may we be freely open uh, to receiving you, Lord, and your love. And so I pray that you bless this time. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, we started a uh, new sermon series called Live Life As, and it's a relationship series on how God views our relationships and how we best uh, relate to others. And as I said earlier today, the topic is about our sexuality, who God created us to be uh, individually as man and woman of God. And uh, we are addressing sexuality in this sermon series because we must understand God's intention for us as woman, as man and woman, uh, before we know how uh, we can best relate to other people, to have relationships with other people. And now, this topic is a big topic ever since like maybe a decade or even longer um, ago. In fact, if you don't know, this is a topic that have divided churches. Um, simply because there are now in this world different views on uh, what sexuality looks like. And so the way that God sees and intended uh, sexuality through the teaching of his word is actually in contrary to how the world sees it. And so our culture defines sexuality as this, that it is a word we use to talk about how we understand our bodies and how we understand our relationships. This understanding includes all aspects of who we are, our values and beliefs, bodies, desires, relationships, gender, and our thoughts and feelings about all of these. Because our sexuality is made up of so many different components, our understanding of our own sexuality is ever-changing and unique to each person. 
the most important thing to understand about sexuality is that it is self-defined. That is, that every person is allowed to talk about and understand their own sexuality in their own way that makes sense to them. So this is how our world and our culture sees sexuality. And when it comes to the biblical view uh, from some of the research and studies, uh, what I believe in is this. Uh, then this is a quote, a definition from um, somewhere else. So sexuality refers to God's anthropological design and pattern for procreative relationship between male and female and to the experiences of erotic desire within that design. Gender refers to biological differences in male and female embodiment and the dif different cultural ways in which the creational distinctions between male and female are manifested. So if you see the culture in, the, in, in our world, what they believe is that you can change your gender based on how you feel about who you are. And so it doesn't matter about your biological birth. It's, what, it's that when you grow as an adult and you discover more of who you are, then you get to decide for yourself. Versus in biblical view, what we believe in is that God has created male and female, and we are to take joy and delight in who he has created us to be. And so, the change, and so this belief is countercultural. It's not what uh, the world believes in. And so I want to also say that the truth is this, that scripture actually doesn't address sexuality in the way that our culture sees it, meaning that you are free to define and choose your gender as well to live out your sexuality with the same sex gender. But scripture does address our sexuality in the context of how God has created male and female and to, for them to be able to experience intimate relationship in marriage as husband. And what? And one thing I want to raise is this: just because Scripture doesn't state specifically about sexuality and how our culture defines it, like as example, "Thou shalt not change gender" or whatever it is, um, just because Scripture doesn't say that, it doesn't make it right to affirm that belief. And so, as Christians, we are actually called to think critically and theologically, so that we are not shaped by our culture's belief. And so. Earlier this week, uh, just to give an example, uh, Lavelle, as I said, we were in uh, Mexico for vacation, and we were looking at different activities the resort was uh, offering us. You know, for example, like, you know, physical, uh, physical water activities such as, like, jet skis and parasailing. And as we were reading, a disclaimer, it said, it listed out certain people who cannot participate uh, in these activities. And I quote, people with heart, back, or spinal condition should not participate in these activities. But what came to our mind was this, like, that's it? Like, that's all you wrote on there. And so we're like, well, what about kids, right? Like, what about children? Anything about that? How about toddlers? How about pregnant women? They didn't say anything about that. But the point I'm trying to raise is this, right? Is that just because they didn't say no doesn't mean it's right for you to participate, right? For, like, toddlers or children under age of 18, right? If it doesn't say, does that mean that children can part should participate? For pregnant women, if it doesn't say no, doesn't mean that pregnant women should go parasailing, right? Or go jesting or do all these physical activities. And I hope you know there's a no. <laughs> Again, back to this. So even though scripture may not as be as explicit about this topic as we all hope, uh, in regards to how the world sees sexuality, there are definitely passages that speaks about us being man and woman. As a result, as Christians, we will be starting off there uh, today. 
And so the question that we will be uh, ask, focusing on today is, how does God see our sexuality? And in addition, how does God see and define man and womanhood? Because you know, how God sees things is different than how we see things. Isaiah 55 verse 89 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So as Christians, we must dive into God's word to see what he sees. Again, it's important to address these topics and to understand sexuality and how God intends uh, things to be before we understand how we are to relate to others. But today, it is not my goal to change your perspective or to make you see things differently, but it is my calling as a pastor to share what I believe is at the heart of God and, what, and how he sees sexuality. And one important thing I would like to address before we dive into God's word uh, so that we can all be in agreement. And one thing I wanna say is this, that in this world, there is only one objective or universal truth. The absolute truth that governs all things that defines and determines what is right and wrong and the fact needs to be stated because the notion of absolute truth is again countercultural. this is not what our world believes in our world believes that there are many different truths and therefore we cannot say to others that their views are wrong the main phrase goes like this you have your truth and i have my truth whatever you believe in and suits you i respect that so this toleration causes actually a barrier between people. And today's culture is actually hard to get into deeper and crucial conversations with one another and get to know other people. So through scripture, we see that this world can only have one absolute truth because this truth determines what's right and wrong. And this certainly has to come from God, our creator, who's powerful, sovereign, holy, perfect, and just because he exists and he's good. He defines what's good and evil uh, along with what's right and wrong because God, because he is a God of order and not chaos, accident, and contradictory. And I would like to say this, if there is actually no such thing as an absolute truth, this one truth that determines what is right and wrong, meaning that there are, if this world is, you know, in all set, uh, different set of truths, then I could say that the Holocaust was right I can say that the 9-11 attack was right. I can say that the unmarked grave of the children was right. The killing of ch children in Uvedi was right. And I hope that you see these examples that of these horrific, horrific events is not actually what I believe in. I just wanna make it clear. These are not what I believe in. But do you see what I mean? The world cannot function with these multiple truths. There's only one truth, one absolute truth that sets what is right and wrong. And so because God exists and he is the creator, there's order and structure, there's good and evil, there's right and wrong. And this means that God has designed and intended all things to be a certain way with purpose, including our sexuality as man and woman and his design for marriage. So we're gonna get to the big idea. So the big idea for today is that God is intentional in all that he creates. All things have purpose, right? Like the sun gives light and heat, but it is also essential to plants and trees uh, with a process called photosynthesis. The trees absorbs carbon dioxide and releases oxygen, right? In the very air that we breathe. Do you know what I mean? Like all things have purpose, right? God has his purpose and even man-made activities have 
all have purpose, right? People, dealerships, or people, manufacturers create a car for you to what, drive. And when you buy the car, you don't just put it in the garage or let it sit outside, you buy the car because you're gonna drive it. It's gonna bring you to A, point A to B. So all things have purpose. Likewise, God is intentional and purposeful. He has reasons as to why he does things and what and who he creates. And again, God is holy, perfect, and just. He is sovereign and powerful in all that he does. And he is a God of order and not of accidents or chaos. And so everything is well planned and mapped out in accordance to his will. And the first point I want to make is that everything God creates is good. Right? As mentioned earlier, scripture doesn't address sexuality in the way that our world sees it, and we hope to, we hope for it, but it does clearly address God's creation for both male and female. And so for those who believe it's right, or, uh, believe that it's right for one to choose their gender, I can understand where they're coming from, right, in regards to how they feel or, or see about their gender and identity, I do. But at the same time, you know, like, as Christians, you know, as we look at scripture, we see that all that God has created is good, including male and female. This means that each of us as individuals are created well by God, and each of us are not an accident in here. And so God created us and have given us life, and we are part of God's plan, and have been given meaning and purpose as man and woman. And if you guys remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created everything, and he created uh, Adam and Eve, human beings, and they were together. At the end of chapter 1, Genesis 1, verse 31, it says, God saw that all he has made, and it was good. It was not just good, it was very good. And so God, who's holy, perfect, and just, just makes no mistake. And because God created with purpose and intentionality, all things are made well, thought out, and calculated. And I want to read this verse as well from Psalm chapter 131. Uh, 139, 13 to 18. This is David saying, and this is David in his worshipful moment to God. For you created in my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's room. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How fast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So even David right here, it was his response of love and appreciation for God for his ultimate creation and that everything was good, everything was precious there was no defect there was no mistake on god's part and so we know that god doesn't make mistake all his plans and executions are perfect and then we learn that god creates everything is good and then we also understand in genesis 1 that humans are made in the image of god which is the second point so humans are made in the image of god so let's read uh, chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So 
after God created all things, he began creating human beings. And he said, let, God said, let us, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, make mankind in our image. It's the mark of the beginning of time, right, before everything was created, that God exists, and there he created uh, mankind, made in his image. And so it also says afterwards, in our image and in our likeness, the way that we act, the way that we live it out. So this means that as human beings, we're given this authority, right, this blessing from God to rule over animals, and also as well as to take care of the earth, because God has given us this responsibility on earth, that, that we are made in his image. And what this means is that we are called to carry God's image everywhere we go. This means that we resemble God's character in our lives to be Christ-like in the way that we live, to live out the fruit of the Spirit and to be full of the Spirit, and our light will shine before others so that others can, can see God's love and goodness and the good news. So here's the thing. God created, though God created everything to be good and we are made in his image, sin still entered the world because of Adam and Eve. So I just want to make this straight. Before the fall, before Adam and Eve fell, there, all things were actually really good, right? That was in the beginning. And Adam and Eve were good because their lives, right, and they reflected the glory of God. They were made in the image of God. They carried his image. But when the temptation came and they fell and they have sinned, that broke the unity, that separated unity between them and God, and they have sinned against him, which is why sin is often described, defined as missing the mark. They missed the mark. They missed the goodness because they fell into sin. So there's this separation. So in the same way, when we sin, we are missing the mark such that our lives do not reflect the character and the goodness of God because our lives are now living and desiring things that are contrary to what God wants. We want our own desire. And so as a result of human beings who have sinned, we have tainted God's image because of our sins. But thanks be to God, God sent Jesus to earth to restore and redeem humanity so that we can be made whole again and to be cleansed from our sins. And because of his ultimate sacrifice, right, we are free. And now this new person, we have all have this new relationship with him, a personal relationship. And so everything is good. God created everything to be good. And we are made in his image. And so we, as women and men of God, we are called to actually take joy and delight in our gender because God is purposeful in all that he does and all that he creates, even including man and woman. And here's why. Because God intentionally created men and women for specific purposes. God has this plan and purpose for men. As, uh, God has a specific plan and purpose for us as men and women of God. We all have different personalities, passions, values, gifts, skills that make us who we are. And we are actually called to take joy in the differences, in our own differences, because everything that God uh, has created is good and well thought out. When we have a strong calling in our lives as men and women, and we are called to fulfill this uh, the way that Scripture teaches us. Um, and so before we dive into specific uh, uh, Bible verses on manhood and womanhood, uh, we're going to look at our first primary calling as children of God. Afterwards, we will look into our individual roles as man and woman. Uh, and I created this thing, and hopefully it, it kind of, I created this thing called the function and method, and I hope that I created it so that you guys can hopefully be able to follow my train of thought and follow along. 
So child of God, this is the function. This is the thing that doesn't change. Our first and primary calling and identity is that we are all in here children of God. This means that our first mandate is to prioritize Jesus in our lives by following him daily, to grow in our faith and in our relationship with him. That our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing of us and above everything else. So likewise, as Christians, we are called to spread the love of Christ to others. And if you remember in the gospel before Jesus ascended, Jesus commissioned his disciples, right, to go and make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is their primary function as followers of Jesus, right? That call is to be missional, to spread the love of Christ to everyone else. But how they do it can be different, right? How you evangelize can be different depending on the different methods that we use or how we approach evangelism. So likewise, as men and women, this is kind of like our method, right? Our mandate as child of God, the function doesn't change. We are a child of God, and we are called in this relationship with God to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the method is different because all of us as men and women, we are created differently. How we love is different. How we love, live out the identity as a child of God and to share is different. How a man thinks and what he does might be different than how a woman thinks and what she does. How a man shows love to a fellow sister is different than how a woman shows love to a fellow brother. The way a husband shows his love to his wife is different than how a wife shows love to her husband. We're both different. The function is the same, to love and to serve, but the method is different. And I think this is where God is telling us to take joy and delight as being a man and woman of God, that the way that we express and live things out are different. And so this world and culture actually reverses the order, or in fact, they only have one thing, that is that their sexuality is their main identity that they pursue because it gives them full life, which Reverend Duck has mentioned several weeks about, about this. He, he says, in our culture, we define the climates of human existence as sexual intimacy, romantic fulfillment, and marriage. So in other words, the world and culture define their full human assist, existence based on their sexual intimacy, romantic fulfillment, and marriage. And so if they don't pursue in relationships or be married, then they are, quote, unquote, missing out. And I hope you know what I mean. So as Christians, we can't re reverse that order. We must f remain with our number one calling, the function, as being children of God. Our personal relationship with God, with Jesus, should be much greater and precious than our relationship with our families and our relationship with others. And I say this because if we were to switch the order around, right, that we put child of God second, right, then we will forget God's will because we are driven by our own desires. And the second thing is this, is that if we were to put child of God second, what we imply to those who are single is that they only find true life by fulfilling their sexual intimacy and desires in a relationship or marriage. But that's not how God sees our sexuality. God sees it in that our relationship with him should be so much more valuable than our relationships with, uh, with others. This is why those with the gift of singleness can still thrive and do amazing work for God's kingdom because their first identity is rooted in Christ and not in anyone else. Again, this is not to say that our relationship with others don't matter, but we are to put God first in our lives before 
anything else. And that's why in the different contexts in our lives, the different seasons, whether you're single or married, that everyone can still thrive in, in their calling. And so again, our mandate as followers of Jesus for both gender is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. And then, then we are called to love others in our relationship with them. But how we do that is different, right? Because everyone, both male and female, are different in the, in the sense of their personality, characteristics, passions, skills, and values. And so this is where the, uh, the method kicks in, how we do things are different. So now we're gonna get into manhood and womanhood. So manhood, what does God say about being a man? How does he say it? You know, is it the way that our culture defines what manhood is, right? Does being a man mean that you bulk up, that you are muscular, you hit the gym, that you drink the protein shake, build those muscles, you know, and, and just look so jacked, right? Is that, what, is that what man is, right? Does manhood mean that you always try to protect someone physically by getting into fights and protecting them? Does manhood mean that you own a barbecue grill and then, like, you know, cook those hamburgers, cook those steak? Is that what manhood is? Does manhood mean that you don't talk about your feelings? Oh, no, I'm not sad. I'm happy. I, I'm strong, right? Like, does manhood mean that you don't cry and man up and look tough? Is that what manhood looks like? What does manhood look like through God's lens? In Scripture, there are several passages that teach about manhood. The only ones that I see about, you know, the outward appearance of being strong only comes when God gives people strength. But majority of time, none of it has to do, manhood, for manhood, none of it has to do with physical strength and our outward appearance with mental or physical toughness. When Bible talks about manhood, everything has to do with love, care, integrity, values, attitude, along with spiritual desires and pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, endurance, and gentleness, which is all within us. It has nothing to do with the outward appearance. And this, I believe, is what, how God sees about what being a man of God looks like. Again, nothing to do with our appearance, how we look, what we do, but has everything to do with our character on the inside and the heart because God sees our heart. So in addition, husbands are called to lead, protect, and to provide for their wives in the context of marriage. And overall, they are to sacrificially love their wife and in their relationship with others, just as how Jesus demonstrated his sacrificial love and led his people, and also how he provided and protected the people that he loves. So men who are single, are you leading others to Christ? Are you encouraging others in their faith so that they can grow in their faith and relationship with God? Husbands are you, and, and fathers, are you leading your wife and family spiritually? Are you helping, encouraging them in their spiritual journey and relationship with God? And when people are with you in general, men, in different contexts of relationship, do they see you as an example and are inspired to grow further in their own relationship with God? It is a high calling being a man of God. Philip Holmes, the, um, from this website called Desiring God, which is John's Piper's website, <laughs> the role of leadership has given men uh, that God has given men isn't an opportunity to be served, but a calling to serve sacrificially. In a world that offers immediate gratification, financially, emotionally, sexually, Christian manhood may seem unattractive and even pointless at times. 
Why live selflessly and sacrificially when I can do the opposite and enjoy instant pleasure? When society tells us that leadership amounts to privilege, why hold on to the biblical vision of leadership as sacrifice? Real men deny themselves carnal pleasures for true joy in Jesus. Whether you're married or single, if you're not serving your neighbors selflessly and sacrificially, you're not walking fully in biblical manhood. And let me tell you that, that brings a lot of conviction even to me in my own life. Question I ask myself is, am I pursuing selflessness or selfish gains in my relationships with others, right? And this is not supposed to be like giving you like a, a perfect list, a checklist of what you're supposed to do and then make you feel sure if you're not living up to it. That's not what I'm saying. It's, but as man of God, we do have a high calling to live out our role. And this is all the more why we need Jesus to, to help us, to give us the strength, the wisdom to do that. Because a lot of times, actually, many times, being a man is hard. <laughs> and so all the more we need Jesus. So men, we do have a high calling to take ownership and leadership in our relationship with others and as a calling as a father and husband. And so wives, this is not to say that women are not able to contribute, but husbands are actually called to lead because marriage between a husband and wife is a reflection between our relationship as a church and with Jesus, who is the head of the church. And this is what we are called to do. And this is why God has placed men to lead, husbands to lead in marriage. And so now we're going to go into womanhood. And there are several, several passages about womanhood, but we cannot go through all of them. Um, but there are two that I'm just going to explore. The first one is actually Proverbs 31, uh, woman of God. And many of you guys know about the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Uh, this is actually, you know, is for uh, single people. Uh, uh, women or wives, but not only that, actually for uh, men as well. But some of the things I'm just going to list out um, about what a woman should be pursuing is this, is a strong character, it being strong in a character, and that's wisdom. And so it starts off like this. A wife of a noble character who can find, she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. And in Proverbs 31, verse 25 to 26 and 30, she clothed with dignity, strength and dignity. She speaks wisdom, faithful instruction is on her tongue. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And even in Proverbs, a lot of times it talks about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is the beginning of wisdom. And I just want to make a clear, important clarification, all right? So this passage is often seen as only written to women, but that's not true. It's actually both written for men and women. And so the context is that the mother of King Lemuel, who scholars are actually thinking it actually might just be a different name for King Solomon, um, because there isn't much information about Lemuel, but, there, but the wisdom written here has to do with things about Solomon falling short. on. And so it's his mom right here giving wisdom to him. So whether it's King Lemuel, a different person, or the same person, the thing is that it's a mother giving uh, a son advice and wisdom on what to and what not to do. And so the wisdom given here is also for men and how they are to live and who to look for in a woman, in a wife. Then on the other hand, this passage is also an image for women to envision and to pursue. Now, this passage, if you read it on your own, may seem daunting, if not to all women, whether single or married. 
This may seem like a, a list of perfection that you can't live up, right? But the point of this, of this passage isn't supposed to be a checklist to make you feel unworthy, burdened, or short if you cannot live it up. But, to, but the passage in here, I believe, is to show us how great godly wisdom is. And therefore, this is all the more why we need wisdom from Jesus. So yeah, it may seem like a, perf a list of perfection, but, but this is to show you that even though because of our sin, we fall short, we can't live up to it, all the more why we need Jesus in our lives, why we need to hold on to him for wisdom, because we can pursue some of these things in our lives and to grow in our faith and our relationship with God, but only with the strength and the help of Christ. And so the point of this to all the women and wives out there, to keep pursuing Christ, to keep growing in your relationship with him, and as you keep doing that, you will grow more and becoming more like Christ. And the last passage I want to talk about is this. The next one, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husband in everything. And even Colossians chapter 3, says, uh, verse 18 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting to the Lord, uh, in the Lord. That means you submit, but not to all to your husband's authority, but in the way that God wants it. So this passage isn't saying that wives have no strength, nor is it are they to just listen to their husbands and do whatever uh, they tell them to do. And, and it's, all about female, uh, it's all about male dominance. This is not what the submission looks like, and this is not what is the passage is saying. But this submission right here is actually out of love, not just randomly or that the husband isn't doing his part, but th that the submission in here is out of love because the husband also plays his role in loving the wife. Just like our, our relationship with Jesus, if you think about it, Jesus first showed his love, his sacrificial love for us. And so in response to the good news, in response to the gospel, we submit to him, right? Because Jesus did his part first. And so in response, because if Jesus never died for us, why would we submit to God? But because of what Christ has done for us on earth to die for us, and we have this new relationship, in our response, we submit to him. So likewise, our relationship as you know, husband and wife relationship is a reflection of our relationship as a church with Christ. And this is why God calls us, to, you know, just as God calls us as a church to submit, so wives also submit to their husband because their husband plays the role of loving their wife sacrificially. And so this is the reason why scripture emphasizes on the role of man and woman and in the union between a husband and wife in marriage. And so the final, point, and final thing I want to say is this, that God intentionally made man and woman the way that they are, physically, mentally, emotionally, as individuals, right? Everyone is different and they are different how they relate to one another. Then in God's design for an intimate relationship, he has designed marriage for a husband and wife. That's how we are able to participate and to experience sexual intimacy in the context of marriage. And this is why anything outside of it, outside of the context of marriage of husband and wife is to miss the mark, is to miss what God has designed. That all we see in the scripture in the beginning is that God created man and woman and then he has blessed man and woman to be together in marriage. 
This is what God has designed. We as human beings cannot change it. We don't have the right, the authority to change it, and that's the truth. And so anything outside of it um, is missing the mark, missing what God's intention is. And so, again, we are called to take delight as man and woman of God, and we get to be enjoying the process in which God puts us in. And so, again, in the beginning, God created everything to be good. Sin came, this brokenness, and Jesus came to restore all things through Jesus Christ, who came to die on the cross. And now we have this relationship with him. And so, because we are created in the image of God, our duty is to fulfill the calling that he has given us as man and woman, first as a child of God, right? And then in different ways as man and woman, how we love and serve others. So again, first mandate, love Jesus with everything. And then we learn how, because of our relationship with Jesus, we learn how to relate with others. And then third is that both men and women can experience this intimate relationship. So may you know that God has created us for specific purposes, and we are made to thrive. And nobody in here is an accident. And all of our gender, as both men and women, we're called to take delight because everything that God has created is good. And so my prayer encouragement is that you take joy in your personal relationship with Christ as a man and woman of God, because God has called us to great things in this world and that you influence others in the way that you love and care for them. The message is going on. This is the final verse that I want to um, share in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 8 to 10. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been saved by grace through faith, through believing in God. We are saved. And this is not from ourselves, right? This is saying that this is not from ourselves. It's not based on our own effort. We are saved because it is a gift from God. And only he gets to take credit. Why would God send Jesus down to earth to go through all this, right? Yes, it's because of our sin, but more importantly, because he loves us. And it says in verse 10, for, the reason why God would do all these things, for we are God's handiwork. Another translation says that we're God's masterpiece. And so why God would go through all these troubles, because in the beginning, everything God that created was good. Sin came, and so Jesus saved us. And so we are created in Christ Jesus to do good work. We are his masterpiece. We're created with purpose and meaning. And it is our job to discover what that is as man and woman of God. So everyone in here have been blessed by God. We are all blessed by God with specific personality, gifts, passions, and, and skills. And it is our job to find out what that looks like in the con different contexts in our life, in the different seasons in our life, and in our relationship with one another. So overall, may you all know this, that God is intentional that all in all that he creates. And may you experience his goodness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, God. We thank you that you created us. That even in the midst of our sins and our brokenness, God, that you still sent Jesus to die on the cross to set us free from our sins to restore all things, to restore humanity, that we are set free from our sins and that we get to participate in your mission and that you have given us high calling as man and woman of, of God. 
to, to live in our everyday life. And so I pray that your spirit will continue to teach us what that looks like in our everyday life. In times that we fall short or we feel unworthy, may your spirit encourage us and to remind us that we can be able to fulfill our calling as man and woman of God because you're the one that empowers us and gives us the strength and the wisdom that we need to live up to it, to fulfill the calling that you have set in place in our hearts, Lord. So may we take joy and delight in who you created us to be as man and woman, as husband and wives of you. So thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace and for this relationship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Howie.